Hear now a reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, beginning with verse 11. I'll be reading from the New Revised Standard Version. Then Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and traveled to a distant country, and there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have bread enough to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. And put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And get the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, friends, if you were here last Sunday, you will remember that we met a rich young man who was experiencing so much financial gravity that he could not bear to break free and accept Jesus's invitation to be a disciple. He could not or would not submit one area of his life to Christ, and that was his wealth. Today, we consider another rich young man who appears as a character in a parable told by Jesus of a loving father. He is the younger of two sons and feels financial gravity with so much force that he goes to his father and asks for his inheritance early. He said, Dad, go ahead and give me everything that's going to belong to me when you die so that I can get out of here and go live my life the way that I want to. And we can only imagine how painful this must have been for the father to hear, especially since he probably knew something that the son did not, that as he walked out the door, he was walking toward a financial black hole. A black hole is a place where gravity is so powerful that nothing can escape its pull, not even light, which is why you can feel but you can't see black holes. Once something enters the gravitational field of a black hole, the effect is dramatic, and the kingdom of self is filled with black holes. For many people, money 
and the things that it buys can produce a level of gravity from which they cannot escape. One of the worst combinations in this regard is to place a large sum of money into the hands of a person who has low spiritual or emotional maturity. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Any parents here? (laughs) And this is exactly what happened to the young man in the parable. His spending choices were predictable given his age and immaturity. Soon after asking his father for his inheritance, he gathered his belongings and he took a trip to a faraway land where he lived in excess and he partied it all away. Like all young adults, this man was eager to be independent, but the problem was that he was immature. And immature people have a hard time managing money. He was only thinking about the next party And his impulse control was so weak that he couldn't discern between wise and foolish expenditures. So he lived fast and loose until all the money was gone. And then when he got down to his last penny, guess what happens? A famine strikes and he can't even find food to eat. What felt like a solid foundation of wealth proved to be like sand on a barrier island that washed away overnight by a nor'easter. We're having a pretty good one now, and the waves are firing, if you're interested. With no other options, the young man decided to go home. And it's important to note that he had no other options. He knew that he did not deserve his father's forgiveness or help, but he was hungry and he was desperate. Instead of returning home as a son, he would throw himself on his father's mercy and beg to be given a place among the lowest in the house, the servants and the slaves. As he made his way home, he saw his father running toward him on the road, and this was very alarming. He didn't know it was in the father's head, and it was very alarming because dignified men in ancient Israel didn't run anywhere. It was considered beneath them. It would have been reasonable for the son to fear that his father was running toward him in anger, prepared to lash out with something like, how dare you show your face around here after bringing so much shame and disgrace on our family. After all, this is probably what he deserved. But he didn't get what he deserved. Somebody knows that feeling here today. If you know that feeling, say amen. He didn't get what he deserved. Instead of getting punishment or rejection, he got extravagant grace and radical hospitality. Perhaps for the first time, the son learned about the depth of his father's generosity as dad put a ring on his finger gave him some brand new clothes, and threw the party of the century. And in this way, this rebellious son was fully restored to the family and given new life. And it happened because of the father's generosity. 
Think about how this experience must have changed the son's character. We can see the headlines. A selfish boy dies in a distant land and a new man is resurrected in his place because his father loved him. Instead of thinking only of himself, he now thinks about the needs of others. The lure of extravagant living in a distant land no longer appeals to him because what brings him joy is spending time with his family and doing his father's will. The generosity of his father makes him kinder and more gracious. And now, instead of simply being a recipient of that generosity, he starts learning how to participate in that generosity and to become a conduit of it. And so the father's generosity shifts him from a life of taking into a life of giving. And just as financial gravity led this young man to make decisions that nearly ruined his life, we too face similar temptations, don't we? Sometimes financial gravity distorts our outlook on life, including how we relate to our Heavenly Father. And so just think about how our prayers often focus on asking God for things. We ask for guidance, healing. We ask for comfort, perhaps a new job or money to pay the bills and all kinds of other things. And this is not entirely wrong because the Bible says that God wants us to bring all of our requests to him because he wants to know our hearts. And it's interesting that God can use this very give me, give me, give me kind of prayer to help us sort things out and to get our priorities straight. You know what I mean? Have you ever started praying for something and then by the end of the prayer, you don't want it anymore? Have you had that experience? In the act of praying, God actually changed what you wanted and gave you more wisdom and more discernment. Nevertheless, if our prayers are primarily focused on asking God for things, we miss something that is equally important. And that is praying for God to put us to work praying for God to put us to serving his kingdom, serving his mission. I just want you to think about it. How often do you personally pray and say, God, put me to work in introducing folks to Jesus. Put me to work in feeding the hungry clothing the naked, housing the homeless, visiting the prisoner, comforting the brokenhearted. Put me to use, put me to service. And part of what God wants to do in prayer is to convert you from being merely a recipient of his grace to being a participant and a conduit of his grace. The same kind of shift that we believe may have happened with the prodigal son. And the desire to make this shift grows as we mature in our faith. It leads us to give up our own kingdom and submit to the kingdom of God. And as we do this, incredible things start to happen, including a complete transformation of our identity. 
Because as we act like generous people imitating Jesus, we come to see ourselves as generous people, and God uses this to help us break free from financial gravity and find new purpose in life. And in this way, we become more interested in what we can give than in what we can get. We become what the Bible calls stewards. Have you heard that word? Stewards. A steward is someone who manages somebody else's property. Stewards have broad discretionary powers over how an account is managed or how a household is run, but they know that they are not owners, they are servants, looking not to their own self-interest, but to the welfare of the owner. You see the difference? As we mature, Christ followers come to understand that everything that they have, their entire life, with all of their unique strengths and talents and abilities and resources, all of it belongs to God and that we are called to use it in service to God's great rescue mission of this world. But sadly, most Christians do not truly act like God's stewards. And there is a reason for it. Because financial gravity pulls us toward a deep belief that we are the sole owners of our possessions and that we can use it to support the lifestyle that we want. I earned it, it belongs to me, and I will do what I wanna do with it. It's my dollar, it's none of your business, and if I wanna set it on fire, that's exactly what I'll do. Being an owner means that we can make decisions free of the control and even the consideration of others. In 2014, a book was released titled The Paradox of Generosity. Did anybody see that book? It demonstrates how very large numbers of Americans fail to practice the kind of generosity needed to experience true joy in life. Drawing on data captured in a five-year study, they discovered that 44.8, you guys say that with me, 44.8% of Americans self-reported that they gave zero dollars of their income to any charitable purpose. That's right, zero, not one penny. These people ignored the cancer research drive. They rejected the kids who came to their doors for the elementary school fundraisers. They walked right by the Salvation Army Christmas kettle. They never dropped a nickel in the offering plate at church. And this claim that they gave zero was not something that was deduced by the researchers. Again, it was something that was self-reported. They were telling on themselves. The study goes on to say that another 41.3% gave less than 2% of their income away for the whole year. So if we put these two findings together, we see that most of the financial generosity in the United States of America is offered by about 15% of the population 
that is only willing to give up to 2% of their income away. That's astonishing. Now you may be thinking, well, Pastor Mark, perhaps they gave a lot of their time, right? Because, because a lot of people, they don't have a lot of money to give and time is valuable, so, so maybe they gave time. And, and, and we believe this is true, time is valuable. And volunteerism is important to all charitable organizations. However, <laughs> in the same study, more than 76% of the people self-reported that they did not volunteer one minute to any organization. That is three out of four people, folks. So despite some of the rhetoric about how generous we are as Americans, and in many ways we are, if this study is right, we may be smack dab in the middle of a generosity famine. And make no mistake, this is not about resources. It is about character. I want to say that again. This is not about resources. It's about character. And if you don't believe me, and I promise not to go into it because we've got a full service today, but just go read the story of the widow's might. It's, it's about character. It's about the heart. At the end of the day, it's about identity. It's about how we see ourselves and what we truly value in life. And when we see ourselves as stewards as opposed to owners, when that is our identity, then we manage all that we have, including our money, with the thought of pleasing the owner. And for Christians, that's God. Now, some people don't like to talk about this, so I've only got a couple of paragraphs in my message, right? But if we want to be good stewards, as we face all this financial gravity, which makes it difficult, then we must be very intentional to take some of what God has entrusted to us, according, uh, including our money, and set it aside to invest in God's work. If we don't set something aside to invest in God's work, it's not usually just gonna happen by magic. And many Christians do this by deciding to give a certain percentage of their income to the ministries of the church. The goal of this proportionate giving is what we call a tithe, which is 10% of our income. So even if people can't afford to give 10% out of the gate, and most people can't because of the way that we manage our resources before we come to know Jesus, right? Then if we can't afford 10%, then we prayerfully try to figure out what percentage we are able to give, and then we give that and work toward the goal of 10%, even if it takes us a long period of time. And in this way, giving is no longer an obligation. You, are you awake, church? Giving becomes a spiritual discipline, like praying, worshiping, serving the poor. A spiritual discipline that helps them to become more like Jesus.
The tithe was a practice that God gave the people of Israel, and the money from the tithe was used to support the worship life of Israel and to take care of the most vulnerable in society. And it's important to note that God asked them to do this, not because God needed their money. Do you think God needs your money? No, God asked them to do it because God knew that this kind of intentional discipline was required in order to ensure their proper relationship with money, to prevent them, the people, from getting sucked into a financial black hole. And the same is true for us. Tithing is a spiritual discipline that protects us from greed, envy, and materialism. It empowers us to reflect the generosity of God so that we're practicing what we're preaching. And it realigns our hearts with the generosity of God so that we can be set free to experience abundant life. Tithing is not for God, tithing is for us. In short, it's a practice that God uses in the power of the Holy Spirit to change our identity from being owners to being stewards. And this is important because God calls everyone who follows Jesus to be a steward of all we have. From our possessions and money to our time and abilities, God calls and equips us to be faithfully employed in his service. The problem is that financial gravity, the compulsion to constantly have more, gets in the way. And if we want to defy gravity, if we want to break free and experience the joy of a generous life, it begins with making a decision. Making a decision to move from being merely a recipient of God's grace to being a participant in God's kingdom. And once we make that decision, and we really mean it, then we can learn how to align our lives with God's generosity, which is going to be the topic of our message next Sunday. So you gotta come back. You gotta bring some friends with you, right? So last week I issued a challenge, if you were here. You were encouraged to clean out a drawer, a closet, or a room in your home, and to reflect and pray about what that felt like. How was that experience for you? After throwing away things that were trash, I ask you to set aside some items that you don't need but might be helpful to others. And this week, I want you to think carefully about how you will get those things into the hands of the people who need them. For example, you might donate items to the Brevard Sharing Center or give some items to a friend. Once you make this decision, then give it away and then again, Reflect on how that feels. What is that experience like for you? And this week, I'm going to issue a new challenge called the Budget Challenge. So look in your bulletin. If you look in your bulletin, you're gonna find a financial planning sheet. And I just want to invite you to use this as a guide to look at your family budget and to see if things are kind of in line proportionately with the wisdom that comes on this financial planning sheet. If you don't have a budget, then maybe this is a good time 
to put some thought into it and to begin to put something down on paper. Uh, if you're single, you can do this by yourself. If you're married, you need to do this with your spouse. Right? And we'll talk more about this next week. Okay? But if you are willing to do it, if you're willing to look at the financial planning sheet and consider how it lines up with the way that you manage your money, if you're willing to do that, then again, I want you to look at someone close to you. Are you ready? And say amen. Let's commit to doing that today. Amen.